Welcome back to Writers on Writing. I'm your host, Marie Stone. Today, I welcome literary agent Lori Galvin. Lori works for the Avidas Creative, a full-service literary agency home to more than 30 agents in five cities. They represent scores of award-winning authors, performers, thinkers, artists, and public figures. Lori represents both adult fiction, especially women's fiction and crime fiction, and nonfiction, memoir, food writing, and cookbooks. Based in Boston, a few of her clients and their projects include Hannah Kirshner's Water, Wood, and Wild Things, published by Viking last year. Cambria Brockman's Tell Me Everything, published by Ballantyne, and Wanda M. Morris's All Her Little Secrets, published by Morrow. A few of Lori's clients' projects have been optioned into Netflix and other movies and TV. Prior to joining Avidas, Lori was the executive editor at the multimedia publisher America's Test Kitchen, where she led a team that produced dozens of landmark cookbooks. She was also an editor at Houghton Mifflin, a restaurant cook, and ran a bed and breakfast in Maine. Before I bring her on, a quick reminder that we're now offering some great perks on Patreon. We started the page to keep in better touch with you and get your feedback, as well as offer some fun writing tips and tricks. We even opened uh, the page up for you to make suggestions, and that's how Lori Galvin came to us today. So you can see all the benefits by visiting www.patreon.com slash writers on writing. Any level of support helps us out. If the show has boosted your writing in some way, if you've gotten some useful advice, this is an easy way to reach out to us. And that's how a lot of the questions for Lori Galvin came to us today. So I encourage you to check that out. We appreciate it all. On with the show. Lori Galvin, welcome. Thank you so much. Hey, I am so happy to have you on because the one loud request that we've been receiving from listeners lately is to hear from more agents. And I was mentioning to you before we got on the air that I've talked to three people in just the last few weeks who they're all accomplished writers. They're all previously published, but they've been out of the game for a little while. And now they're back in the market for an agent. And they all sounded a little like Rip Van Winkle, like they woke up into this new world where they suddenly feel like the rules have changed and and they need some guidance. So thank God you're here. Oh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> some of these people still remember the days of the self-addressed stamped envelopes, right? <laughs> so right. we've moved beyond that. So I briefly introduced Avidas, but I wonder if you can talk more about the agency and, you know, maybe what separates it from some other literary agencies and what kind of clients in general your agency looks for. We'll get to you specifically in a minute, but but the agency in general. Yeah, I would say that we are a very editorial agency. A lot of the agents have been editors or editorial directors or even publishers. So they have that knowledge from the other side and really bring that, you know, added experience to, you know, agents who might be lifelong agents and and didn't work on the editorial side. Of course, you know, everyone brings brings their own strengths to their job. And we cover just about everything. I would say that that's another strength. You know, we're a full service agency. We have a film and TV department, um, which most agencies of our size do not have. The film and TV part of our agency works very closely. I was 
just on the phone with a client and my colleague um, who is a film agent talking about a deal, a a proposed deal. I think, you know, going to the website, you'll see that we represent just a really, really wide variety of authors who are, you know, produce books that I would say are often timeless. And, you know, that's something which you've probably seen, especially in the past few years, where publishers are really looking for books that are going to backlist well. They're Mm -hmm. not so much looking for the, you know, I mean, there are some who look for the hot new trend, but, you know, we just have organically been going after and working with people who produce books that are thoughtful and rich and are going to be part of whether it's the literary conversation or the cultural conversation or political for years to come. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I'll also just say that we're very collaborative and we give each other feedback. We have, you know, we are spread across, you know, five cities and also the UK and we meet regularly. We weigh in if an agent is in the middle of a challenge or isn't um, needs more information on something. There's always somebody to call on. You know, even at the very granular level, we um, exchange pitch letters and submission lists, and we just have eyes and ears because there are so many of us to cover the market. And it's really great to be able to tap into that resource. Yeah, this is really good to hear because I think a lot of people focus very much on agents individually as individuals as opposed to the agency in general. And so I think it's it might be useful for people to look at the agency in general and some of those resources that can be offered behind what the agent can offer as well. So that's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting. How did you come to them? I have been there since 2015. And I came to them after I had been in my last position, executive editor at America's Test Kitchen, and was just looking for, you know, a challenge, a new challenge. I had been, you know, happily working in cookbooks for, you know, a decade or so, and wanted to work with, you know, a variety of of books, not just, not just cookbooks and food. And early in my career, I had worked um, as an editorial assistant and assistant editor at Houghton Mifflin. And conveniently, um, (laughs) the editorial director I worked under, Janet Silver, at Houghton Mifflin at that time, you know, it's such a small world. Publishing is such a small world. She is an agent, a partner at um, Evitas. And I had reached out to her for an informational interview when I was exploring, you know, what else could I do outside of editorial work or, you know, working for another publisher. And I had a you know, wonderful conversation with her and she really gave me the inspiration, you know, because at first I thought, well, could I really be an agent? <laughs> she said, you, <laughs> you know, it's so similar to being an editor and look, I did it. <laughs> so that really stuck with me. And I, you know, spent some time researching the field because, you know, it's, it's very challenging, you know, agents don't 
receive a salary. You know, you work on commission. There, you know, generally aren't benefits like healthcare. So, you know, it's very entrepreneurial. And was I up for that? And after talking to a few agencies, I came back to Avitas at the time, it was called Zachary Schuster Armsworth. And I just, you know, just got such a great feeling from them and, um, and ended up joining them seven years ago now. It sounds both super fun and super stressful. I mean, with the publishing industry, (laughs) the way it is, yeah, For you not to make any money until you sell a book. It sounds, you know, ultra stressful, but also, you know, kind of the dream job. Yeah, you have to sort of adjust your, you know, your expectations and yourself in certain ways. But I would say that, you know, I absolutely love my job. I am never I don't get the Sunday scaries. I work on exactly what I want to what I want to work on and that is just so liberating. I mean, I loved my time at Houghton Mifflin and America's Test Kitchen and it was really great for me for for those years and you know, at the same time you're working for somebody else and right. you're working on books that they want you to work on and you know, after a while I just really wanted more variety. I wanted to choose my projects and I I love it. I have no one to blame but myself if I'm unhappy in my job. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, let's talk about what you love to work on. Tell us a little bit about what you, what you love, what you're looking for and what you enjoy spending your time on. Yeah. I work on a few cookbooks these days, but it's not my focus as much anymore. My heart really is in fiction. I worked with a first-time author, I believe I met her in 2016, Cambria Brockman, and she wrote a thriller called Tell Me Everything. And there was just, we had a, a mutual acquaintance who had asked if I would take a look at her manuscript. And it was just one of those magical experiences where I totally like page one was in love. Mm-hmm. And we ended up working together for, I think, two years. And it was not work. It was just an absolute blast. You know, she, this was her first book. This was my first time working with a fiction client. And it really sold me on fiction. And, you know, she got a, a wonderful deal with Ballantine. And I just like that, that book, I would say, you know, reading that manuscript changed my life in in a lot of ways and really made me think I really need to dig into fiction. So, you know, any sort of fiction that is transporting in some way, you know, I love women's fiction. I love crime fiction. I love thrillers. I love books that have some sort of I don't know, element of time travel to them. I love dual point of views, but, you know, uh, or dual timelines, but I'm, you know, also open to books that don't. I just, I I have to connect with the book. You know, it's, you know, it sounds very silly, but I, you know, truly believe there's the right agent for the right book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to feel it. And, you know, sometimes I do feel it and, you know, I get rejected. I mean, that happens. I think, you know, we, we call them beauty contests. I really don't love that term, 
But when multiple agents are interested in the same manuscript and author, we have to compete against each other to to sign that client. And everybody, they might not talk about it much, but you know, everybody has had those experiences where they've fallen in love with a manuscript and they haven't been able to land that client. And it took a few times for me to realize, you know, that person is, they're better off. And I, I see those books out there in the world and, you know, I wasn't the right one and that's fine. And I, I really want to see them succeed. Do you remember anything about Cambria's? Well, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you remember everything. Do you remember anything about Cambria's first page that that when you say I was just in love from the very beginning? Was it? Yeah. Was it a character? Was it a situation? It, it, was, it was the voice. I would say it was the voice. And it was like just walking through a door into another world immediately. She just, she really killed it. And, you know, when I know that this book is for me or this person is, you know, immensely talented, it, that, that's what happens. I had, had met Wanda Morris, the author at Thriller Fest a, a couple of years ago. And, you know, she gave me this wonderful pitch for her book, All Her Little Secrets. And she sent me the manuscript, the pages, I think maybe that night. And I had left the conference and went on a, a trip with my family and, I was reading her pages like at the airport and <laughs> just, you know, had that feeling. And I think it was Monday when I was back, I scheduled a call with her. And again, it's just strong voice is everything to me. Yeah. Going back to your cookbooks, because I was just talking to somebody who was working on a cookbook and I thought, hasn't the internet completely killed cookbooks? <laughs> who buys a cookbook? And there are, there is still a market for that. But I was wondering if if the internet really changed the game for that whole genre of, of books. I think it shook it up, definitely. And I think that cookbooks are having a little bit of a renaissance. I think during the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, especially people really turned to cooking again. And I think you know, platforms like TikTok have gotten people, younger people interested in, in cooking and, you know, exploring food outside of what they, they normally make. So, you know, I, I think it's a good time. It's a good time for cookbooks. And there are, you know, new cookbook divisions at, at various, I think Simon & Schuster has a cookbook division that's, that's fairly new. And there's a publisher, an independent publisher, Union Square Books, and they have started up a cookbook division. So, you know, for aspiring cookbook authors, it's a good time. Good. So let's talk about the changes in the publishing industry, because I don't know how much the pandemic shook things up, but it was, it feels like it was changing even before that. But let's say that you last published in, you know... <laughs> or you were last looking at this 10 years ago. Can you talk about some of the, the biggest changes? I know there's been a lot of consolidation amongst the houses, but there's changes in querying agents now. There's query manager and some other things. So maybe give us an overview of, you know, some of those those big shifts in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, I, I use query manager and, you know, I, you know, I remember the days when I was an assistant getting 
for my boss, her, her manuscripts and, you know, by mail that I would, <laughs> right. would just get like a stack of yellow envelopes and mom would have to tear through <laughs> yep. them. And so I think it's really wonderful that we have online querying. I think it's probably faster, even though I know for a lot of people, it still feels like a long time. And I find that query manager keeps me more organized than just having an inbox, you know, through, through my agency website. It's just, it's just much more organized. Other changes. Yeah, there are, you know, unfortunately there, the consolidation has made it more difficult at, especially the bigger houses, the, you know, the big, I guess, 4.5, there are fewer imprints and yeah, that makes that makes things really challenging. At the same time, I've been really heartened to see new publishers come come on the scene. There was an imprint at Penguin Random House that was shuttered, Spiegel and Grau, and they ended up reopening um, as an independent publisher. So I think that's fantastic. And you know, another publisher, Zando, I think maybe two years ago opened and, you know, people it's, you know, started by people who were like in the business at Penguin Random House. And there are, you know, smaller independent presses that are also very good and should not be overlooked. Soho Press is one of my favorite presses, um, small independent presses. And they do crime, but they also do some literary fiction and Deep Vellum in Texas is also a wonderful press. And Blair, I give a shout out to Blair in uh, uh, North Carolina. They're really, really wonderful. People have been bemoaning the death of publishing since I started in the 90s. <laughs> still, <laughs> right, right. You know, it's still going on and it's just, it, it's very fluid. You know, if you're an aspiring author or, you know, a, a, an author, you probably know about, you know, Publishers Marketplace and reading the news through that and the publishing news. And, you know, every week there's something, there's an editor moving, there's, you know, an imprint shuttering or opening. I mean, it's, it's, it's constant. And, and that's part of the reason why we, at, at the agency, we share our submission lists because it's hard to keep up with. Right. <laughs> Right. And somebody, you know, might say, oh, I just got a call from this person and, you know, they've left and they're going here. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a competitive industry and, you know, we are competing for entertainment time. And there's, there's a lot to vying for our attention. Uh, you know, editors will say to me, well, you know, we want this book to be as appealing as, you know, Netflix. So, you know, it's like, okay, if so, is somebody going to spend their time watching Netflix or reading a book? You know, you could argue that you want to do both at different times, but it's just a reminder that it's competitive and you're not just competing with other authors. Yeah, it's a funny time because it feels like the barrier to entry is both like wide and high or something. I mean, that there are all of these different opportunities. As I mean, don't even mention the self-publishing route, mm -hmm. but even, you know, with all of the small presses and there's some really wonderful small presses. I have so many authors on from these really great little houses, but the big houses, maybe it's equivalent to higher education now where, you know, you've got the big Ivies that are just 
nearly unattainable, but then you've got some really amazing small liberal arts colleges all over the place that are wonderful and you can get a great education. Right. Maybe it's like that, right. right? Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity out there, but you're right. The the field is competitive and, and the, the noise to whatever it is ratio of competing attention, you're right. I mean, it's just, it's that, that also is really, really overwhelming. Yeah. So Tell me a little bit about how much you work with the small presses versus the big guys. So if, you know, if you, if you take on a client, I assume, do you kind of start at the top as you would in a college admissions application and, and work down or, or do you, are you really very targeted? Yeah, it's, it's, it really depends on the, on the book, but yeah, I mean, you know, everybody I think wants the, you know, or it's very important to people to have, you know, a, high adva- a higher advance and also distribution and exposure. And it's not always fair, but that's where <laughs> Penguin or Animos and Simon and Schuster and HarperCollins and, you know, the, the big houses offer that. And, you know, at the same time, I want to say that there are smaller presses that, you know, do have great distribution, but, you know, it is, like you said, it's like breaking through the noise. So I I usually just start out like thinking about the people that I know or whose lists I'm I'm familiar with and, you know, what they're looking for and talk to the author about it. And I make a list, we go through the list and, you know, I might do multiple rounds. I might start out wide, you know, sometimes I'll just have a feeling about something and just you know, if something has a very high concept, I'll just feel very confident in sending it out to many editors at once. That doesn't happen often, but I've done pretty well when, when I've, I've tried that with, um, with various books. Yeah. Did the pandemic specifically change anything when one of our listeners wanted to know, like, um, again, comparing it to college, you know, there was this, because uh, people took a year off or a gap year, there was just this backlog. And I was wondering if that happened in the book industry where books couldn't go out, so they got held. And now there's just a backlog. Is is that, is the supply chain in the publishing industry sort of caught up or is that still an issue? Well, you know, I, I just feel so badly for, you know, authors who did publish during the pandemic, especially in March of that year, because it was you know, just devastating to have like everything, you know, you've worked so hard. In terms of backlog, I would say that there isn't a backlog of books because not a ton of books were postponed. I mean, some were, but I would say not a lot. I think, you know, supply chain issues don't have to do with backlog. They just have to do with supply chain issues. And that is still problem, especially for illustrated books that are published overseas because they have to be, you know, shipped over by boat. And it just is, can really extend things and, and be, you know, be frustrating. And, you know, there are some small public publishers who are, they're not publishing, you know, thousands of print runs. And so they don't have the leverage with printers. Right. And they get, you know, pushed to the side. And I, I, I think that's really unfair and really frustrating in terms of, yeah, backlog. I mean, I, I would say that during the pandemic, 
I think those first few months, nobody really knew what was going on. Everybody was saying, oh, you know, it's business as usual, but it really wasn't because we were (laughs) in this situation we've never been in before. And I just, I know for myself that it was very difficult to read. You know, I, I had submissions, but I also, you know, didn't know what was going on in the world. And, you know, editors were in that same place. And on top of that, you know, most editors worked in an office and suddenly they were at home. And if they had children, you know, who weren't in school now because of the pandemic, you know, it was just not a great situation. Right. Right. (laughs) But everyone persevered. Avidus had started inviting publishers and their staffs to visit us through Zoom mm. and, you know, tell us about their lists. And that sort of replaced the the coffees or lunches that, that people normally would have had. And we were all able to do, you know, a big group Zoom. And I think that was really helpful. And I think other agencies also were, were doing the same thing. And that's continued. And that's been a really nice thing, especially for me, where I do not live in New York City. I live outside of Boston and, you know, I, I do go to New York when I need to, but, you know, to talk with an editor, I don't need to go to New York, I can, um, right. have a wonderful yeah. conversation with them over zoom or, um, a phone call. And, you know, that's something I think that is, is now people are, are more open to, and, you know, it's certainly much less time consuming for me. So, yeah, and that's yeah, nice for I, your clients too, because they don't. They can be anywhere, right? I mean, you oh yeah, yeah. My clients have always been everywhere. everywhere. Um, yeah. And I know that's another funny thing that people sometimes don't realize that agents don't often meet their clients until right. maybe, you know, sometime after publication. But yeah, I mean, it's it it works really well. And you know, I have a client who is working overseas for a couple of months. And I have another client who, you know, lives in Japan and, you know, yes, it's like they're 13 hours ahead, but we make it work. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the dreaded uh, query letter that strikes fear into the hearts (laughs) hearts of every writer out there. First of all, two of the people that I talked to this past week were working on writing a query letter. And I said, hey, check out Query Manager because the, the game has changed now. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, Although it's similar, you know, I think what you would put into a query letter is similar to what you would put into Query Manager. But let's talk about the do's and don'ts of querying and, and you know, red flags to you, how authors torpedo their chances and and all of that. So Query Manager, let's just walk people through if they if they don't know that part of it. Uh, they can expect prompts that look similar to what you would put in a query letter. You're probably going to explain this better than I can. Yeah. I mean, though it, it has prompts, you know, they, um, but the big, they have an actual prompt for the, the query letter and maybe there are other prompts for competitive titles. Agents can tailor the, the page. For me, I think the most important thing to do is get all of your information, your critical information in that first paragraph of your query letter, the title, the word count, the premise, you know, your, your pitch and competition. I, like, I want to see all of that at once. 
And I think sometimes people take a while to get to that critical information or it's, it's spread throughout the letter and that can make it difficult for me when I'm just going through, because I, I really want to see that information and, you know, I, you know, so, some people might, and, you know, it's, it's hard, it's a business letter and I don't think people should agonize over it. And I think sometimes people think that their prose and their letter needs to somehow reflect their skills as a novelist. And that is not the case. It is a business letter. And I want the most critical information up front. So that description of the novel, and um, and I should mention that you did a great panel with Barbara, I think last year, you were on a panel for Sisters oh, in Crime. Oh, yeah. Yep. And people can find that online. There's there's other information in there that's that's wonderful. But you were talking really about the importance of having a helicopter view of yes. the book as opposed yes. to diving yeah. into the specifics. <laughs> right. That's in the first graph. Just give me, you know, the one sentence, two sentences, maybe. I I actually did a pitch event a couple of days ago and virtually, and I told many people that, you know, they're their pitches were great, but I, I need that helicopter view to ground me so that I can navigate the longer description. Right. We'll be back with more from literary agent Lori Galvin in just a moment. You're listening to Writers on Writing. Another quick reminder to check out our Patreon page if you're liking the show. If you've learned any tips or tricks that have inched you closer to publication, especially today, they're getting a lot of them, whatever it is, in return, uh, you, will get, uh, you will get some goodies back, including the opportunity to recommend guests to the show, ask your questions of some of the authors, as a lot of people have done today, and other goodies. Visit www.patreon.com slash writers on writing. Let's get back to it with literary agent Lori Galvin and uh, all of her tips and tricks for finding an agent. And then let's talk a little bit about comps and finding the right comps. In that same talk, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Michelle was talking about the three R's of comps, which were recent, reasonable, and relevant. And (laughs) if you can talk a little bit about because if you're if you're aiming too high for you know Dean Koontz or these big names, that's not useful to you. And I, I I think it'd be interesting to hear how people should go about looking for the right comps for the for their book. Yeah, I would. You know, I mean, yes, it's it's very difficult to use big names, and I often advise people to avoid that. Or if there's something really specific about that author, you you could you know add that in to qualify it a little bit more, but they're really, you know, unicorns. So it's like (laughs) not, not a great idea. Yeah. I just say, you know, what, like who is going, wants to read your book? Like who are they reading right now? Like who is in the same universe? And it doesn't have to be exact, you know, an exact fit, but there could be, you know, something about, about that. And of course, you know, if you're writing genre fiction, like, you know, crime or, or mystery or thrillers, you want to have the people in that genre. And, you know, I often tell people, you know, you can throw in some like a TV series if you want, 
Mm -hmm. um, it, because if you think it's a really good comp, you have to have some books in there. But uh, I think, you know, other media is, is fine too. And beta readers are so important. Having, you know, an unbiased reader read your work and asking them about comps. You know, I would you know, or, or presenting your, your comps to them and seeing what they say, because that even happens, you know, on the agency side, I, you know, will circulate letters and the comps will be in the letters, our pitch letters to agents. And, you know, a fellow agent might say, oh, I'm not really getting that comp. Can you tell me? And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, if they're not getting it, something's wrong here. And I neither either have to qualify it in some way or, or take it out or, or something. So it's, it's really important. And it just, it also shows that there's a market for the book. And, you know, like Michelle said, the, the three R's, uh, recent is very important. What do you mean by recent? How recent? What is that? I would say, I mean, people, some people say two years, I, I think like the past three to five years is fine. And, you know, you, you can also use a comp, an older comp, but, you know, you need to qualify it in, in, in some way, like Cambria Brockman's tell me everything. I pitched that as an updated, the secret history and, Mm -hmm. you know, along with other comps, but, and, you know, at first I was like, Oh, the secret history is so big. But then when I was talking to editors about the book, before I had sent it out, a lot of them said the secret, it sounds like the secret history. So I was like, <laughs> okay, perfect. Say one yeah. thing about comps, if that's okay. Yeah, um, please. A few years ago, there were a lot of books that were compared to Rebecca and by Daphne du Maurier and in, you know, in pitches and unbeknownst to me, it was, it was just very weird how sometimes these things will, you know, these trends will, will come forward and, you know, editors, you know, I I remember an editor saying to me, oh, I've had so many books comped to Rebecca lately. And I'm like, you have? (laughs) Yeah. How weird. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of that and trends, I mean, I know it's really tricky for writers to write to trends because, first of all, by the time you write a book, the trend will be long in your rearview mirror. But, you know, interestingly, if there are trends out there now, what what do you see as particularly kind of hot sellers or what people are looking for? Are the are all of the girls and women women in the window and girls on the train and every book for a while there seemed to have a girl or a woman or a Window. Yeah, yeah, in the title, especially. Yeah, um, right. You know, I think those are always going to be popular in in some ways because the the themes are kind of timeless. I mean, you know, the the woman who marries the husband and she apparently didn't ask him any questions and then finds out he's a killer. I mean, I think that's gotten a little tired, but but a lot of these books are about relationships and you know intimate relationships, and I think you know those will those will always be popular. Or, you know, they explore like the dark side of human relationships. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny because sometimes I just don't know exactly what I'm looking for. You know, somebody will pitch me something and I'll, I'll think, oh, you know, that sounds great. And I I never thought about that before. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say, you know, exactly what that is, you know, I'm just um, looking for really well-told stories, very good writing. You know, I want these characters to 
inhabit my, my mind and I want to be, you know, thinking about them for days and I want to come away with, with something, you know, I want to come away with, you know, understanding something better. You know, it could be, you know, understanding a culture better. It could be understanding a profession better. I mean, that that's something that like personally I find especially interesting is when, you know, some, the protagonist is, you know, a lawyer or a newspaper reporter, and they really go behind the scenes and, and give you the nuts and bolts behind what they do. I just, I find that really fascinating. Yeah. One of our listeners asked if there is still any hope for quieter and more literary books out there, you know, that, that aren't necessarily going to be big money makers or that aren't thrillers, but nonetheless. Yeah. You know, yes. There, there are always a place for literary fiction. I mean, I, I love quiet books and it's, they are, I, I will say a hard sell. If the writing is, you know, very strong, extraordinary, yes, they have a chance, but again, it's just, it's, it's very competitive and, and it's just, it's finding the right agent. It's finding the right editor who is really going to connect with that writing and that, that novel and, you know, be its champion because, you know, I I would say if you're, you know, when you're interviewing editor um, agents, the number one thing to look for is, are they enthusiastic about your book? (laughs) You know, we, that's, that's what keeps us going. And, you know, if, uh, you really, really have to look for that. And there's just, it's, if it's not there right away, it's never going to be there. Yeah. Well, that's a good question is what people should be asking their agents and what you are asking them to make sure that it's a right fit. Once you know that, you know, the book is interesting and you might be a good match, what should you be looking for in each other? I would say from the author's point of view, they want to, you know, what I would find out about the agency, you know, what, what can you find out? How long have they been operating? What do they offer? Is there an agency agreement? You know, what is the sales track of the, the agent? I mean, you know, everybody puts out books or puts books on submission that they don't sell. So, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily like a numbers game, but if they, you know, have a good amount of books out that have been well-reviewed, that's important. Their connections in the industry, I think is important. I would not overlook younger agents or, you know, agents newer to the business because it's, it's a lot of phone calls and time and somebody new, new to the business is going to have that time. Mm. So I, I, you know, and they're going to like have that, you know, fire in their belly, so to speak. And, you know, I, I think when, you know, more junior agents are supported by an agency, that's even better because they're getting, you know, they're, they have resources around them. Um, and I, I definitely felt that way when I started agenting uh, because I had been on the other side and I hadn't been on the agenting side, but I, I had wonderful colleagues to turn to when there was something I was unclear about. In terms of like what I look for in a client, I want to work with people who are reasonable. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I mean, it, it, it sounds odd, but like I, I want to work with emotionally intelligent people and, mm-hmm. you know, 
authors who understand that it's a business when you're selling to a publisher. Yes, it is your book and I'm going to advocate for you at every single turn. And it, it's also a partnership and it really is to your advantage to listen to your publisher on certain things or hear them out on certain things like jackets and fonts and design. I'm not saying that they have to say yes to everything, but you know, it is a collaboration just as it's a collaboration between the agent and the author. You know, I will make notes and, or editorial suggestions, but I always emphasize these are suggestions. I'm not saying that you have to do this, but you know, if not this, maybe consider something else. Or I'm sure you're going to have a much better idea for this chapter, but, you know, think, think along these lines or consider thinking along these lines. And I, I love it when authors are involved in their community, the writing community, because, you know, it's a tough business and you need support, you know, not just people to read your writing as you're, you know, coming up, but also to lean on in those hard times. And I, you know, I think that's like incredibly important. I mean, you know, agents have agent friends and editor <laughs> friends. It's a tough business. And I think that, you know, people who are involved in their writing community who go to conferences or who are involved in, you know, Facebook writer, Facebook groups or, or Twitter groups or, you know, what have you, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly helpful for them in the long, in the, especially in the long term. you know, when it comes time to get, you know, blurbs for your book, you know, yes, the editor and the agent can help with that, but it really, most success com comes from when the author can turn to a fellow author for an endorsement. Right. So it's helpful for the writer, but how much do you as the agent look to what the writer is involved in? Is that important to you for them? I guess this is kind of getting into the question of platform and, you know, how how widely involved in the writing community you want to see this person be to to help you sell. The well, book. I mean, I I see when when somebody is involved in some ways in their writing community, it doesn't have to necessarily mean that they have like a platform per se, but it shows me that they have learned about the business and they are, you know, dedicated to the business and to the craft of, of writing. I think, you know, the days of JD. Oh, JD Salinger. Yeah. Yes. Right. yes. I'm yes. like, people cannot be JD Salinger anymore. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. it, it's, uh, you're just going to have greater success if you have support around you and, and, you know, you're giving other people support. It goes both ways. So in terms of platform for, you know, fiction for novelists, I don't really care about their Twitter numbers or Instagram numbers or, or anything like that. But, you know, even if they have a writer's group, I think that's great. I want them to have a writer's group. And I definitely want them to have beta readers. I, you know, that's a mistake I see a lot of authors make. They, you know, send me a man manuscript and tell me I'm the first one to read it. I should not be the first one to read it. <laughs> right. And do you get, do you recommend beta readers on different levels, like sensitivity readers versus like people who read or write in that genre versus people who have a, you know, expertise in India? Do you recommend them, you know, have five or six different beta readers for different purposes? You know, I, I, I think that's up to them. 
you know, I think just on a story level, you want like that kind of a beta reader. Yes. If it's genre fiction, I think it's helpful because that your beta reader will have an enthusiasm for the genre. And it's totally up to an author, whether they feel like they need a sensitivity read. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's up to them. Okay. I know a lot has been made in the past I'm going to say five or seven years of um, cultural appropriation and writing from points of view that are diverse from your own. And I wonder if you have a couple of, of our listeners wrote in to ask about that, if you have a point of view on on tackling that, on tackling a point of view that is either culturally not your own, sexually orientation not your own. Is that dangerous ground? I think it's Dangerous ground, especially if it's the a prominent character, the protagonist, because like, why are you writing that? And I think that that can be kind of slippery. So, you know, when, and I, I will still get submissions like this and, you know, sometimes I'll, it won't be apparent to me, like why this person has to be Muslim or, you know, uh, queer or, or whatever. And I'll have to like press if, and ask if, if it's something that I think, you know, has, has some merit. Right. One of our listeners wrote in and asked that um, agents often only ask for the first five pages of a manuscript are there particular book killers that they typically spot in those first five pages, signs that the project isn't worth pursuing? Or conversely, do you look for particular nuggets in those pages that create excitement and curiosity? Yeah, I mean, you've got to have a really strong opening, you know, absolutely. It's it's very difficult to start with dialogue. So I generally ask people or recommend people don't do that. Another thing is, you know, there can be too much interiority. Uh, You're in somebody's head, like on page one in a kind of too claustrophobic way, not an inviting way. Um, (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I, you know, and it's, it's like, is this holding together? And a lot of people can see that, you know, in the, in the first five pages and, you know, I've also read, you know, 30 pages that have been, or 50 pages that have been like wonderful and, and maybe the next 50 are, but then the last third, not so much. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a process and it just might mean it's and that's what I usually say. I don't think that this is ready yet. I think, you know, it, you need more work before um, looking for an agent. And how do you let them come back to you after doing that work or once they've pitched you and, and you're like, no, it needs more work. That's they're dead in the water then. No, no, I would not say they're dead in the water. If I tell somebody like, you know, these are the things and when I'm specific about it and I will often ask, you know, could you please, could you consider sending this to me again? Cause I would like to see it if you do undertake there was an author, his name's, he's my, one of my clients, Sebastian Plata. And during the pandemic, I think it was like April or May of 2020, he sent me his manuscript through Query Manager, just cold. And I was so drawn into his voice. I like, it just broke me out of the, the funk I was in, the mm-hmm. pandemic funk. And I wrote back to him and just, you know, said, I admire this so much. There were a couple of like specific things I 
wanted him to work on. And, you know, I wasn't sure if he'd be able to execute it. So, which is why I didn't sign him up right away, even though he had a fabulous voice and he worked on it. And a couple of months later sent it to me and, you know, it was, it's, I'm so excited about the book. It's, Mm -hmm. it's coming out this fall and I cannot wait to work with him on his next book. Um, (laughs) So that was a success story with, you know, I, I did request the revision and it, it really worked out great. Well, and it also shows you that they're open to making the changes that you recommend they make and they'd be an easy author to work with or not. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. That to me is, you know, can be a red flag. There was, there was somebody I was connected to, this was a few years ago who had just a killer concept. It was really great. And we had a meeting and when I started to talk about some editorial suggestions, they just did not agree with me, which, you know, was fine, but they were not open to any changes in the manuscript. And um, so, you know, that was that. And um, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just not realistic. Yeah. I guess we should, you know, in our last minutes together, make sure that we kind of get these um, important things out that you should be reading heavily in your genre so that you understand. And certainly if you're going to comp somebody, you know, compare yourself to somebody perhaps best to have read the book. Right. <laughs> and, and yeah, to be open to, to be open to these editorial changes because it's inevitable. I mean, even if you thought the book was perfect, which I'm sure you would always find something, the editor, the publisher is not going to find everything. Perfect, right. I exactly. Exactly. I, I take it only so far and an editor is really going to, you know, br- bring it, bring it home. <laughs> right. <laughs> Help the author bring it home. Right. Are there other big don'ts that you see people do? Somebody on the, on, I know your panel mentioned pitching agents on social media (laughs) or pitching agents at parties. I think that's hard. You know, I've, I've actually had people call me uh, like on my private phone. Oh, (laughs) oh, oh, no. (laughs) And and that was a little creepy. (laughs) It's a good word. Yeah. Um, I mean, it happened to be, I, I remember like late on a Saturday night when I was at home and I was just like, wow, that, mm. that was really weird. Why would they call me on a Saturday night? But um, someone's been drinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, don't, right. don't drink and talk, talk to agents. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just be professional. I would say always be positive. You know, sometimes I talk with, you know, at, at pitch events and, you know, and, and, author might be critical of another author. Like, I'll just give an example, like Dan Brown, like, oh, you know, my book is not, you know, it's, it's richer than Dan Brown's book, or I don't know, they'll, they'll be a little disparaging about another author. And I don't think anyone should ever do that about another author's work, especially because, you know, publishers are not going to embrace that. And, you know, if an author has had success, um, why wouldn't you want success? Why wouldn't you want that success? (laughs) Why wouldn't you want to sell books? And um, so I would say just, you know, always be positive and, and be open, be, you know, open to collaboration, be open to listening. And 
and it's hard. I get it. It's really hard for, for authors because writing is so personal and they've been, you know, with these words, you know, for, for so long and have envisioned certain, you know, things when the, when the manuscript becomes a book and, you know, just being open because you want your book to sell. And you've, you've got to listen to the experts, not to say that authors don't, you know, they should definitely weigh in with their opinions, but also just listen. Yeah. Now, if somebody has previously published either self-published or published on Amazon, however that works, I assume those books are sort of dead in the water to you. They are. And, but I, I would say maybe not to every agent. I did try to sell a book that had been self-published and was unsuccessful. And still to this day, it kills me because it is so good. And yeah, it's just, it's very hard to get over that hump with publishers. Of course, if something was self-published and it sold, you know, thousands of copies, yes, a publisher might be interested in that. But if, you know, it was just out for a short time or, you know, this person didn't have any connections or what, what have you. I, I think it can be very difficult. And in fact, I have that on my query manager that I, I can't take submissions from um, where the, the work is previously published. Okay. If people have a personal relationship with you or they have known, because I have a, a person I know in this situation, she, she knew the agent, but now it goes through query manager. Is there a way in there to let people know we know each other. And, yeah, uh, I would put it, I think there's a referral section, like how, you know, okay. like who referred you or, or something like that. And okay. I often have people, you know, put someone else's name like there. Okay. Somebody I know. And last question before I ask if I missed anything here. Oh, well, do you have recommendations for people going on like Publishers Lunch or Publishers Marketplace? Are these all, are there places that you think people really should be following that I'm, that I'm missing off that list? Yeah. I mean, I, I know it's an expense for Publishers Marketplace, uh, but sometimes they run free trials or they will be open for free for a certain period. So I think that that can be really useful. Or if you have a friend who has it, go over and say, can I jump <laughs> yes. on your computer? <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I think that that can be really, really useful because you you can just sort of see ha happening what's happening in real time. Just about, you know, every day deals are posted and you can see what's resonating, what people are buying. Right. Last question from a listener. A question that intrigues me is the future of the publishing industry in light of the mass exodus towards self-publishing. How many writers are seeing publishers as not doing much for them? You know, the burden of the marketing and, and everything is still on the writer with fairly small royalties. Like, why wouldn't you just self-publish? I don't think that's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. I, 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 I don't think that there's been a mass exodus. I mean, there are definitely some people who have built wonderful platforms and are very successful at self-publishing, but I think that you still need a partner, somebody who is going to, you know, not just edit the book, but design the book, make sure that there aren't any mistakes in the book, have a, a sellable jacket and get it into bookstores and other distribution channels. I mean, that's that's what publishers do. 
And, you know, if you're self-publishing, you're probably going to have to hire people to help you with some of that or do it all yourself. And I'm, I'm not sure how you would do that. Although I know some people do and, you know, I, that hats off to them, but I think it's publishers are, are, you know, are, are partners in, in helping you sell your book. And that's, I, I would not, yes, of course, I would love to see hire everything, higher royalty rates, higher (laughs) advances and all of that. And that's part of my job that, you know, that I'm always fighting for, but I, I don't see publishers as villains, I guess, to answer your question. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, this is great. Are there things we should have talked about that we didn't talk Mm -hmm. about? Let's see. When you were asking me about query manager, I'm trying to think, oh yeah, I, I, I mean, is it okay to give a shout out to another podcast? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Okay. I really think that the shit nobody tells you about writing. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, they run a lot, like they run workshops now. And I, I think that that has become a really great resource in the past, you know, year or so. And I often tell writers to, to tune in. And, you know, I also tell writers to follow other writers on social media, you know, that who they're truly interested in or book reviewers, um, just to learn. It's a good way to learn about the business. Yeah. I love this. And like I said, you, you did this great panel last year. I tried to kind of steer around some of the questions. So we got in some new things. So that panel is worth checking out too. And it's, it's easy to find online, the sisters in crime panel with you and and Barbara DeMarco Barrett. And there's there's some other stuff up there that people should check out. Uh, and we should let people know how to find you if they're if they're interested in querying you. How do we how do we find you? So I'm on Query Manager. So just look me up there. Or you can go to the Avitas website and in my bio there's a link that takes you directly to Query Manager. I love it. We didn't even get to the B and B. That sounds fun. I'll just say that is not my retirement plan. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. That's fair. (laughs) Lori Galvin, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Marie, for having me. I really enjoyed it. That was literary agent Lori Galvin. She works at the Avitas Creative uh, Literary Group. In addition to our Patreon page, you can also visit our websites. Barbara's is barbarademarcobarrett.com or penonfire.com. Mine is mariestone.com, M-A-R-R-I-E-S-T-O-N-E.com. You can always subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and elsewhere. As always, our fantastic music and sound design was provided by Travis Barrett. You can find him at travisbarrett.mykajabi.com. That's all the time we have for today. Tune in next week. And thanks so much for joining me. Have a great day.